The message this morning is called Community and Involvement. And uh, I mean to tell you, it is tearing me up personally, wonderfully, powerfully. It is already working in me to, I believe, transform me to be more like God, to be more godly, more Christ-like. That's the good side of it. The difficult side of it is it's very confrontational. I mean, it's an in-your-face message. Some of you aren't even going to like it. Some of you are going to love it. Some of you are going to like it because somebody else heard it. (laughs) It's about time they heard that. I don't know how good the message will be, but I, I intend to have a good time giving it. Is that all right? Uh, because it's better than having a bad time given it. I do believe in having a positive attitude, one that's filled with faith, and I, you know me, I like Zig Ziglar. And they were interviewing Zig Ziglar, who's Mr. Positive Attitude, one time, and uh, they said, Zig, are you saying that with a positive attitude that you could beat, uh, in this case it was Muhammad Ali, world champion boxer, said, do you think you could go into the ring with a positive attitude and beat Muhammad Ali? He said, well, now I don't think a positive attitude will get me that far. He said, but I will tell you this. I'd be one of the ones that would have the best time losing. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel about this message. I'm having a good time losing at it as it challenges me. And I hope, I hope that equally it challenges you over the next few weeks. Community and involvement. Did you know that? I was looking online the other day. I looked up a book that I've heard. I mentioned here a few times the title of it. And I wanted to see if there was any excerpts from the book that I could glean some information from. And it was quite insightful. The name of the book is called Bowling Alone. Sounds like an interesting book. Bowling Alone. It's actually a study of over 500,000 inputs across the United States a number of years ago that was evaluating the failure and the falling apart of community in the United States and how that we have become a people that are we don't join things anymore we're not part of groups anymore uh, we, he talks about the decline of enrollment in various fraternal organizations and societies even right down to uh, bridge clubs how that there was this one town that had a bridge club with 50 people in it and they would come and they would play bridge every week But a lot more happened during that time than just playing bridge. They networked and they had community and they had relationship and they knew each other's business, if you will. And they knew how to help and who was in trouble. And they were always communicating, but they did it over bridge. And how that about 10, 20 years ago, that thing just fell apart and there's like seven people that still show up. And he uses that as an illustration in this Bowling Alone book to talk about how that if you take that as a little drop of the rock in the pond, how that has rippled out and how that community now is lacking in this little town where everybody used to play bridge. How that the services that used to occur between households and the ministry that we might call it or the help that one another uh, provided to their neighbors no longer happened. And how that a shift occurs in that because now the church or the groups that used to fellowship together and uh, be together and minister to each other no longer existed, that this was now falling onto the governmental structures. 
We were willing to get taxed heavily in order to let the government take care of the needs of people. You know, the Bible tells us, and we're talking about biblical worldviews here, aren't we? We're talking about scriptural biblical worldviews. When we talk about community and involvement, it has always been the uh, on, laying on the shoulders of the church, the body of Christ, to help in community. To live in community and not go bowling alone. The reason he titled the book that is because it got to the point where people actually in our nation go bowling by themselves. You know, I like to golf occasionally. I like Pastor Mike. You know, he says, people ask him, do you golf? He says, well, I own a set of clubs. <laughs> and that's true <laughs> about him. I have a pretty good hackers were out there together. But I haven't hacked a golf ball in almost two years. And uh, I could probably do just as well today as I was doing when I quit. But... <clears throat> But the point of it is, I don't like to golf alone. There's lots of guys that will throw their clubs in and go golf all by themselves, golf with strangers, to just to hit the ball. That is one of the most boring things there is in life for me. I only want to hit the ball if there's somebody else hitting the ball with me. I only want to get laughed at if I can laugh at somebody else. <laughs> it's community. And when we talk about community and involvement, of course... As we develop a biblical worldview, we have to look at how God sees things and then say, I need his heart to be put in my chest. I need to see it the way God sees it. As we've been talking through the Truth Project and the different spheres of, of uh, and we talk, there's, if those of you that are in it, you know, you draw the circle and you talk about the triune God as depicted in this circle. And here you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit inside this sphere that is the triune God and how that between the Father and the Son there's perfect agreement and relationship and between the Father and the Holy Spirit perfect relationship and agreement and that how the Son is submitted to the Father and how the Holy Spirit never exalts himself but always exalts Jesus how you have this perfect flow of authority and submission and how that God stamped that image of himself into the social structures and the orders in which we are to live. When we take the church and draw the circle, and that becomes a social order in the earth, uh, you've got uh, the same kind of pattern of, of God over the church. It's his, he's the head and it's the body. And, and in the body there's leadership that relates to the rest of the body. How that this is supposed to work in perfect submission, authority, and responsibility. The family works the same way. The husband's head over the wife and they together over the children and how the wife is to be submitted to the husband and uh, both of them ruling together in the home to bring this perfect, trying, godlike balance of responsibility, authority, and submission into the home so that life occurs. And it all reflects his glory. Now when we come to this final sphere of community and involvement, we draw the circle and we have to come up with a problem in that when it comes to community and involvement with those outside of us, our own life, there's nobody that gets to have authority. There's nobody that gets to rule over the circle. It all becomes service. It all becomes depicted by Jesus when he said, Come learn of me. I am humble, gentle and humble. You have a picture of Jesus in John chapter 13, knowing that everything had been put into his hands and that he was about to return to the Father and he had loved his own, the Bible says, to the very end. He got up from dinner and he girded himself with a towel and he poured water into a basin. And he went and he began to wash the disciples' feet. 
one after the other. Of course, he gets to Peter, and we kind of take this in a couple of different views, but when he gets to Peter, Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. <clears throat> we might even see Peter initially as being very humble, saying, no, not me. But Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing yet, but you will understand in a moment. He said, well, if you're going to... if." He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He said, well, in that case, wash my head, my feet, my hands, wash me all over. And Jesus said, come on, Peter, settle down. <laughs> well, you just get in the deal here. That's my words. <clears throat> I'm not sure Jesus ever got frustrated, but in that way, he said, Peter, listen, anybody that's bathed only needs his feet washed. Okay, can we just do it this way? Peter submits to it. And as Jesus takes the towel off and puts the basin aside and takes his garments back. He says, do you know what I've done? Nobody answers. I notice there's obviously either a verse missing out of the Bible or they didn't say anything. And so he goes on to answer the question for them. He said, you call me Lord and Master, and rightly so, because I am. And I love the way it's for us in the English uh, that at the end of that sentence is the words, I am which means Lord, which means Master. I am that I am. You call me Lord and Master, and rightly so, because I am. And I've given you an example today. I've given you a demonstration and an example today that if you call me Lord and Master, and I wash your feet, I humble myself, the exalted creator of the entire universe, lower myself to the point of washing a human's foot in an act of servitude, then you need to wash others' feet. Community and involvement. How are you going to wash the feet of the community you're in? And Jesus said, when you do this, the illustration is, and let's not miss it because I'm just telling it, John 13, verse 17 I'll read 16 as well. Well, let's back it up to 15, Pastor Jeff. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I don't know for you how this works, but for me this just launches like fireworks. Biblical passages. One that just jumps up and explodes right away is when Jesus said, let me tell you how I see the man that hears my word and does it. He's like a man who dug down and built his house on a rock. And when the storms came, it stood. But the man who hears what I say and doesn't do it, doesn't put it into practice, is like the one that builds his house on sand. And the winds will come and the storms will come. The same ones that came to the guy that built on the rock will come to the one who built on sand, but his house is going to become totally obliterated, destroyed, washed away, no remnant. The only difference is whether you hear and do or whether you hear and walk away. I don't know, James talks about the guy that looks into the mirror and sees how he looks, and as he turns away, he immediately forgets what he saw. Somebody sent me a little story from kids today. You know how things pop into my mind. 
said that it was given a Bible synopsis and they said in the beginning Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked and they, were, they weren't even embarrassed because mirrors hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> the, the Word of God is a mirror. James says we look into the perfect law of life and if we turn away and immediately forget what we looked like as we were comparing ourselves to the Word and we become forgetful hearers, then what good is it? Faith, no works. We listen without a response. Jesus, I, when I wanted to look this verse, uh, this word blessed in verse 17 of John 13 up, I, I just wanted to verify what does blessed mean? Because it says blessed are you if you do it. And I thought, well, I want to be blessed. And I went and I got my, you know, my study tools out. If you've got like a concordance and, you know, a Bible dictionary and those things, you look up the Hebrew and the Greek. I went and I couldn't find it. I thought, come on, I've been doing this for years. I should be able to find this. But in my heart, it was rolling over. I had learned it, and it says it this way. Happy are you if you do them. I couldn't find it under the word blessed, so I went to the word happy. Sure enough, there it was. It's just the old King James Version. Happy are you if you do it. Hey, you're short on happiness? Maybe you're not doing it. I often refer to this group of people right now. I don't know any of them personally, but it's a quick take. In any community across the United States where Meals on Wheels exists, you want to get around a happy group of people? Go down to where they're picking up the meals before they go out on their routes. I know they used to prepare them at Pine Summit a lot, and they'd have all those guys all pull in there and put their stickers on the car, Meals on Wheels, and they'd all load up the back of their cars. That's really not the time to be there because they're in a hurry. They want to get it while it's hot and get it out to their route. And they go and they visit the shut-ins. And the people that they know uh, are only going to get one hot meal today. And it's going to be the one that I bring and deliver. And that I have a little fellowship time with them. I can't stay long because i got others to deliver. But it's good to see you. And I'm glad you've got this. And by the way, I can't be repaid for this service. The person on the other side can't do anything but thank me. They can't pay for it. They can't pay me back. They'll never come to my house and bring me a hot meal. They're unable. They're what you might put into the category of the poor. Maybe it's not that they don't have money. They're just poor in that they're shut in. They're isolated. They're lonely. They're forgotten. They're the outcasts, perhaps. And then be there where they come back to drop off all their empty stuff at the Meals on Wheels place. And you're going to see a happy bunch of people. Why? Because Jesus said they would be. They come back and there's a fulfillment that happened inside of them when they gave but could not receive back. Jesus said if you're invited to a wedding, don't sit in the highest place of honor when you get there. Humble yourself, right? Sit at the lower end of the table. If then when the host comes and sees you sitting, says, hey, come sit up here in a more prominent or more important position, then you can be exalted by the host. But don't exalt yourself. God resists the proud, but raises up the humble. In the next passage of that same portion of Scripture, Jesus said this, When you give a supper, don't invite the rich, your rich neighbor. Don't invite your brother, your sister, your family. Don't invite your friends and the people that, because it, that have the ability to pay you back because they might pay you back. When you put on a supper, don't invite the ones that could pay you back. He said, rather then, invite the poor, the indigent, the outcast, the downcast, the forgotten, the lonely. 
because they could never pay you back. When's the last time you put on one of those dinners? It threatens your house. <laughs> they don't always wipe their feet. They don't act the way you act. Why, some of them haven't even used silverware in a while. Hello? You seeing what I'm seeing? Maybe not yet. But I pray that in the next two weeks you will because I don't want to go through this alone. Community and involvement. God's heart and view regularly in the scriptures, if you're watching your reading, you'll see how many times the poor come to light. Isaiah 61. God has anointed me to preach. This prophecy of Jesus that he refrained when he stood in the temple and he took the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61 and he put it down. He said, today this passage is fulfilled in your ears. I am the fulfillment of this passage. What does it say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the... Go ahead and say it out loud. The poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the anointing came to preach to the poor. John the Baptist in prison sent his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus didn't immediately answer their question. He kind of put them on hold. He said, wait right here a moment. Without responding, they waited for his response and he began to heal the sick and preach the gospel. And then he turned back to John's disciples and said, go tell John that the poor have the gospel preached to them that the lame are healed, that the blind can see and the deaf can hear. Just go tell him that. He never would say, tell him, yeah, I'm the one. That was the question. Jesus was pretty good at not answering questions. Are you the one or should we look for another? Well, stand by. <laughs> Healings, ministry, gospel preached to the poor, the, the, the mourning are lifted up, their hearts are glad, and he turns back and says, go tell him what you saw. And John can put the scriptures together in his own heart that I am the one. Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning there, let me remind you that in Matthew 22, we're going to Luke chapter 10. Matthew 22 um, is where we find A lawyer asking Jesus a question. It's a different kind of lawyer in case you're unfamiliar. These lawyers were those who were skilled in the law of God. They weren't your public attorneys. They were skilled in the word of God and the laws of God. And the lawyer asked Jesus, testing him, saying, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? You know, is he going to get one of the ten? Is he going to get one of the 365 or the more of the Jewish laws? 
And Jesus' answer, as you recall, was you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then said that on those two commandments, all of the law and the prophets hang. That to me says that they supersede all the other laws. Love God. Deuteronomy 6, Jesus is going right to Deuteronomy 6, where he says, that's where it comes from. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second one, love your neighbors yourself. We come to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What's your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Question? What do I do to get eternal life? Answer? Do this, and you'll live. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Does this supersede the cross? No. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will love the cross. You will attach yourself to the body of Christ. You will become a devoted follower of Jesus, a disciple. And love your neighbors yourself. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? You know what? I think it's simple, but it may not be easy. I was reviewing this on Friday morning and then had to make a quick trip to the desert and uh, in the process visited all the hot spots, of course, like Target, Kmart. <laughs> I'm in the Target parking lot and uh, this time of year you got to be a defensive driver. And so there I am, and here comes this car, and it's coming at me, and, and I'm thinking, dodge that thing, and I dodge it, and it's good, and I'm, you know, things rising up inside of me. I know this doesn't happen to you, so I just want to share with you <laughs> how that it feels. My mind goes, man, who's that person in that car? And, you know, rah, 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 and I glance over, now that I'm done dodging, I glance up as it goes by, and there's a handicapped placard hanging from the, the mirror, and so I toned down a little bit. Okay, well, what'd they give him a license for anyway? <laughs> give him a license and a blue card and gives him the right to drive like that. So I get my parking place as I'm thinking, I know where theirs is. Way closer to the door than I'm ever going to get. You know, the humanness is there. And uh, I get parked, and I'm making my way into the store, and as I come past the handicapped parking, sure enough, there's the car. Hanging off the back of it is this huge platform with a wheelchair. And here's the guy with the two arm crutches, and she's just doing the best she can, and she's using her crutches to pull down the foot pedals on her wheelchair and trying to operate all this. And here she is. She's right there. Here's her car. There's the thing hanging out, and I, here I come. And I see this. I see the car. I go, that's the gal. That's the one. Oh, my gosh. Now what do I do? 
You know the real response I should have had? I, I mean, this message is in my heart, and I realize this is why I said I don't want to go through this by myself. You hear this message, and God's going to slam you with it. He's not going to let you get away with hearing this one and not doing it. Because he wants you to live. He wants you to know what happy means. What I should have done is just fell to my knees and repented. I said, God, I'm sorry. And I should have apologized to her, even though she had no idea I was even in the, in, you know, in the planet. She's just on her own mission. And as I'm walking by, I think, okay, now what do I do? Is this part of the poor? I mean, bigger car than I've got. You know, better stuff than I have. But does this person qualify as the poor? Who's the poor? Less physically able than me might be an issue. Less finances than me. Last night I asked the question in the Saturday night service and somebody said, the poor are the people that don't know Jesus. I said, boy, that doesn't matter what welfare strata you're in, whether you're rich, poor, famous or not. If you don't know Jesus, you're among the poor. And I thought, do I offer to help? Can she use my help? Has she grown to this point of independence that she loves to be able to go out and go shop and do the thing and make it happen on her own. Would I embarrass her to ask? I mean, the questions are just flooding my mind and I haven't even stopped walking. You know what I did? You want to know what I did, don't you? Will you forgive me if I tell you? Yeah. Maybe not. Huh? I just... I just walked right by and I went in the store. Doesn't that make you sad? Made me sad. I mean, it's still following me around. And this week, you might have opportunity to have something follow you around. Well, that didn't work to train me, evidently, because in the next parking lot... (laughs) Some have called him the pit bull of heaven. The next parking lot, I, I go in to stop at the store to get something that they don't have, of course, after you spend 40 minutes looking for it. And I uh, can't find anybody to help you. And you're and I'm making my way back to the car. And this guy walks right up to me and says, Good afternoon, sir. I thought, Good afternoon. He's got his hand out. I shake his hand. Very pleasant man. Next words out of his mouth. I'm trying to feed my family. And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You know, where's the camera? I said, you're trying to... I said, that is... That's wonderful. I do the same thing. (laughs) I, I relate. I relate to this comment. And I start patting my pockets and thinking, and I look him in the face, and I said, you know what? I have absolutely nothing that I can give you. I don't even carry cash. I don't have a coin. I don't have a dollar. I have nothing. But I know who's watching this conversation. And he thanked me. He said, well, thank you. And uh, I think he probably said, God bless you. Uh, Please don't say that right now because... I want to be blessed, I want to be happy, but I can't be happy if I don't do this. And I made my way back to the car and I got in and drove off and for the next 
10 miles, Peggy's wondering what I'm upset about. You okay? I'm okay. You know, it's one of those conversations we're not going to talk right now because I don't think I can do this. What do I do? We're driving home. I'm halfway up from the Lucerne side and I'm thinking, i got to go back and find this guy. I mean, I had a, at least I had a card, a credit card or an ATM card. So there's probably a food place right within half a block, something that I could have gone and said, let's go get your family at least a meal. I can do that. But I wasn't geared for it. I wasn't ready for it. And I know who knows I wasn't ready for it because he knows my heart and he knows your heart. And he's trying to build a message into us about a biblical worldview that incorporates community and how do I stay involved? How do I act and be like God? How do I become Christ-like and godly in that I have a tenderness and an openness towards those who may have less than me? And it's not about material holdings here, right? Jesus said a man's life does not consist of the things he owns. Last week we talked about the definition between rich and wealthy. In my definition, it goes this way. Rich means, you know, if you're trying to get rich, that means you're trying to get a lot of things that you can lavish upon yourself. And you're trying to get on the TV show, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. The reason we think of them as rich is because they burn it up on themselves. In opulence and just, I mean, overboard. They got yachts they never look at. It costs them six, $8,000 a month in payments, plus the moorings and the crew. And they might use them once a year. Just so they can say, I'm rich. The Christian has a responsibility, according to the Word of God, to actually build wealth, whatever wealth is for you. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God is He that gives you the power, the acumen, the skill, the ability to get wealth. What's the difference between wealth and riches? Wealth is, I have more than I need, and so there's a surplus to help somebody else. I don't just give it away to them. I don't just take the guy over and feed him for the moment. We've heard the, the sayings. We've all shared them at one point or another. Said, well, you teach, give the guy a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him to fish, you feed him for the rest of his life. Peggy's changed that. She has a way of doing that. So as you give a guy a piece of firewood, you heat him for a second. And you teach him how to chop his own wood, you can heat him for a lifetime. I don't know where she makes these things up. <laughs> but she's got the concept. And I thought I could have taken that guy over and got him a meal for him and his family, and it would have been a good thing to do. But if in the process of doing it, we'd had enough time together to talk about where the real need is, what do you do, what, how can we look for work, what work can you do, or you just sponging, I mean, is your family, as somebody said, maybe it's just the dog on the leash behind the store, maybe that's his family, and he's just taking you for a ride. And you know what? I've been taken for plenty of those rides. And a good man of our church years ago when we were feeding the poor, I, I said to him, we're dragging another load of food to the poor. And I said, you know, I am so tired of being taken advantage of. I don't want to do this anymore. He was a fairly new Christian. And he was thrilled out of his mind to be using his truck to haul food to the poor. And he looked over at me and said, well, you can have the greedy with the needy. That's just the way it works. <laughs> you can't sort them out. And besides, wouldn't you rather be taken advantage of for trying to do good? I said, who's the pastor here? <laughs> Knife to the heart, training in the front seat.
God loves the poor. It's, look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. You need to... It's a good memory verse. Highlight it. Circle it. Plug it into a neon sign. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. The guy in the parking lot. The question is, who's going to be Jesus to him? The lady with the wheelchair, who's going to be Jesus to her? The lonely, the single parent, the the I have less than you do person, not just materially, but they may be poor in spirit. God has chosen them to be rich in faith, James says. God wants to exalt them and give them an ability to have faith beyond those who trust in their wealth or their riches. Here it says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he, if you'll notice, capital H, that means God. God will pay back what he has given. Wow. Parallel to that passage when Jesus said, when you give a supper, invite those that can't pay you back. The end of that, the last part of the verse says this, you'll receive all that you need to be rewarded with at the resurrection of the just. Delayed gratification. Hmm? I give, I bring people to dinner at my house that can't pay me back, and I never look to get paid back because at the resurrection it's coming. I'm laying up reward in heaven. This is a different lifestyle we're called to live. It's very anti-world. What does the world teach? You know, get all you can, step on the next guy, move up as quick as you can. Doesn't matter who you hurt. Survival of the fittest. In fact, if we get rid of the poor and the weak and the indigent and, you know, implement things like abortion, euthanasia, get rid of the ones we don't want, then all of us strong ones can have more. I mean, there's a a pervasive training going on out there that can get to us if we let it. Or we can keep reading this and find out how to lend to the Lord. David was writing. Here's the king of all of Israel. He's writing in Psalm 41. He says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. You know who he's talking about in the psalm is himself. He in the moment is the poor one. The king of all of Israel has got everything and anything he needs or wants. Access to everything. Access to the God of heaven who is in favor with him. And he says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. I'm the poor one today. God, I need your help. Consider me. But he still gives us the same principle. Happy is the one blessed, abundantly cheerful, if you will, is the one who considers the poor, and the Lord will deliver that person, not the poor one, the one that helped the poor. God will deliver that one in the day of trouble. You want God on your side? You want to get the attention of heaven? You begin to find your heart coming alongside the things that God loves. God loves the poor. The question is, how am I going to be involved? And when I understand that Jesus is lowly and meek and humble of heart and gentle, and that He loves unconditionally, He even loves people that will never love Him back. He still surrendered His life to reach those who would not reach back to Him. 
He says, now you need to live the same way. Live with an open hand. Live with an open heart. Live with a generous spirit. You know, if you've got two coats, give one to somebody else. The gal in service last night was sharing an experience. She said she was on her way into one of the stores to, to actually go in and buy some coats during Christmas season. And out in the front was the Salvation Army worker, which is unfortunate. You know, they pay them by the hour now. We used to get happy because we were volunteers doing something we'd never get paid back for. Ding, 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 ding. And they were changing shifts. And evidently the person's son was going to now fill in in mid-20s. But this son was out there standing. It's cold, dinging the bell, no coat, and just freezing. She said as she saw him and walked through the door, the Lord spoke to her and said, Buy him a coat while you're inside. <laughs> Come on, we're people, right? What did she say? Lord, I'm not sure I have enough money. Do you think he knew how much money she had? I'm not sure I have enough. Well, how is it we've missed the obvious? And she wrestles the question all through the store and she finally yields and says, well, duh. He knows how much I have. He knows I'm going to buy coats. He knows the guy needs a coat. Okay, this is my opportunity to overcome myself, my scaredness. Buys a coat, takes it out, and gives it to him on the way out, dresses him. I thought, what a wonderful experience. I mean, she only had to go to one parking lot to get trained. <laughs> I've been to two, I'm still not trained. <laughs> She's my hero. Take pity on them. Don't look down on them. Take pity. Serve them. Be like Jesus. Drape the towel. Wash the feet of those who don't deserve it. At the dinner that night when Jesus was there, and if you're in the Truth Project, you'll see this depicted by Del Tackett. But he says, who, you had a host for every dinner, and you had a guest of honor for every dinner, and then everybody else sat around the table. At this dinner, the host would have been Judas Iscariot. And next to him, the guest of honor would have been Jesus. And next to Jesus would have been John, who laid his head on Jesus' breast, the Bible says. So we know those three would have been sitting together. We kind of get the picture that Peter was across the table because Jesus finally got to him in the washing of the feet and uh, closed the deal. But here, the guest of honor gets up and serves everyone in the most menial task that should have been handled at the door by another servant as they were coming in. And then Jesus says, hey, if you know these things, you'll be happy if you do them. Can we flip it over? You're going to be unhappy if you don't. The question becomes, how do we do it? How do we be community? How do we be involved? You know, do I just hand things out the window at every off-ramp? The guy with the sign? No matter what the sign says, do you ever read the signs? You know, whatever. Usually it's a veteran. Usually it's, you know, one guy had a sign that said, I'm not going to lie, I need a beer. <laughs> you know, you give them money. You give them a, do you give them your beer? 
Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Back to the lawyer. How do I get eternal life? Well, how do you read it? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Do that, and you'll live. Do that, and eternal life will come to you. It doesn't supplant the blood of Jesus in giving eternal life. It's going to be an outflow of having that life. I don't expect to have an altar call this morning because I think the altar call is coming in your parking lot somewhere. Some of you are highly involved in these operations and you could stand up and preach this message better than I from experience. You regularly give away of yourself. You regularly give away of your stuff. You regularly give away of your time. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. He also urged us to pray for those who despitefully use us and those who are our enemies. I didn't finish in Luke, but let's do that. Verse 28 of Luke 10. You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, oh, please don't be on this next list. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Love your neighbors yourself. Who is my neighbor? I've preached on this numerous times. What is this guy trying to pull? What is it he wants from Jesus? He wants a list. He wants Jesus to draw a circle. And tell him who's inside the circle and leave everybody else out. Who's my neighbor? Define my neighbor and I can do it. Guys, we're built for this, right? Honey, I don't know what it is you need, but give me a list, I can do it. Conquer. I can fix it. The problem is we generally don't know what she wants fixed. And so we fumble around trying to find it. But ladies, if you'll give us a list, we can do it. In fact, if you can give us a list of how to love you, we'll love you better. Here's how you love me. Do these things. Man, we got the list. We can do that. But you'll just question our sincerity if we pull it off. You say, Flower says I love you. This says I love you. This says I love you. I can do all those things. I can do those things. This guy says, give me the rest, Jesus. And I'll love my neighbor. And just check it off. Draw a circle. Tell me who's inside the circle and I'll leave everybody else out. Remember at the beginning I said Jesus wasn't really good at answering questions? He goes on. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says, well, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, a certain priest came down on the road, and uh, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. Well, here's the priest. Oh doesn't want to be defiled. The guy might be dead. I'm going to the temple. i got to serve. Can't touch dead bodies. I'm just doing what's right by the law. Here comes a Levite, also of the priestly line. Maybe it's his turn to serve. He had to go down and cut wood or do whatever he was supposed to do. He comes by, but maybe he's not on priestly duty. And he goes, oh. He actually walks over. Well, that guy's in bad shape. 
James is ringing in my ears. And the guy says, uh, I need help. And you say, be warmed, be filled, be on your way. But you don't help his natural need. What have you really done? Your faith is no good. Uh-huh. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. You have to know if you don't, the Samaritan issue. Samaria's in the middle. Here's, you know, Israel's like this. Down here, got Judah. And, man, the Jews would go around Samaria. They didn't want anything to do with these guys. These were the half breeds. These were the Jews that had married other people, mixed families, Samaritans. The guy he's talking to is a lawyer, a Jewish keeper of the law. And Jesus says, A Samaritan came by. This guy's hair must have stood up. <laughs> Not one of them. As he journeyed, he came and where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. modern vernacular I took him I put him in my van I drove him to the hotel we went in we got room I went in with him I nursed him back all night as best I could but I needed to keep moving and so I go here's my credit card just zip it zip it whatever you need whatever that guy needs if he ever wakes up if he comes out of being unconscious you know help him and I'll be back and I'll settle all the charges I'll take care of everything wow that's huge. And so Jesus, in not answering the question, answers with a question. I've got to tell you, that's something the Jews are good at. Answering a question with a question. <laughs> Do you have this suit in black? Do you like black? <laughs> yeah, we have it in black. Do you have this suit in navy blue? Do you like navy blue? Yeah, we have it in navy blue. Wow. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he couldn't say the Samaritan, evidently. Couldn't get it out. He just said, the one, he, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, why don't you just read it out loud? What does yours say? Go and do the same. Go thou and do likewise. Not draw a circle and say, who's my neighbor inside? Who's on the list for me to love? Jesus obliterates the circle and says, we're not trying to figure out who your neighbor is. We're trying to figure out who you're going to be the neighbor to. And I've just included the entire world. No one is excluded. I've given you a Samaritan that makes your hair stand on end, helping a man he doesn't even know and is unconscious, he's half dead. There's no way to say, can we go through some introductory remarks here? I'd like to know if I should help you or not. He just has compassion. He picks him up, puts him in his own wheels, four legs, takes him to the end, takes care of him. He just interrupted his life. He interrupted his journey. This is one of our biggest issues in our culture. 
we're in too big of a hurry to help. And it's easier to just hire somebody else to do it. I'll give to that. I'll give to that. I went through this. Can you go on one more viewing journey with me? And then I'll let you go home and find a parking lot. <laughs> this morning again, I'm at the kitchen table and I feel like crying telling the story just because it's this thing's killing me. I've got to die to self here. I'm, I'm a pretty generous person. I like helping people. I'd have, I'd have done everything for the woman with the wheelchair. That wasn't the point that day. It was the Holy Spirit just pounding on me saying, what? i got to get this worked into you, Jeff. This has to be fabric of your being. And I'm saying, God, I want it to be fabric of my being. I don't like failing. I love winning. I love people. I'm sitting at the table and I'm saying, okay, what can I do? Which is the question that comes to all of us. What do I do? There are two things. One is personal involvement. I have to be involved personally in community. And I think in the cell life and in lighthouses is one of the basic entry points of how to help people. Because you're going to have them right in your own cell. You're going to suffer things together as a group and as a family. And you're going to be confronted with, can I get outside of myself enough to love the other person and help them? And am I willing when it's my turn to be humble enough to say I need help and let them help me? That's hard for me. That's the hardest part for me. And I can give all day. But receiving is tough. But I need personal involvement. And I'm sitting at my kitchen table and I thought I should just have one of these suppers Jesus was talking about. I just set up tables in the driveway and just, man, put the food and just let everybody that wants to come by come by and eat as long as they... You know, not the rich and the famous and all that. Just find everybody that needs a meal and just have them come to the house and eat. In my mind, it grew. I thought, well, Jeff, why are you doing it in the driveway? Because you don't want to let them in your house. I said, okay, we'll go to the backyard. <laughs> it's bigger anyway. And I saw in the backyard, I saw I had this whole feeling. And, and a bunch of you came over and we had grills lined up and we were making all this food. And what, what was I doing it? I was doing what the church has done over the years. Listen to this carefully. We have institutionalized the answers. I'm just going to do it myself and I'm going to feed a bunch of them. That's not how we do it. We do it by you having one at your house and me having one at my house and them having one at their house and that cell group doing it with that group. And we get into community. We get into where we're, we're actually touching people, all of us. What's better, me with 50 people in my backyard that I can never have a relationship with but I could feed, or 50 of us all having one that we could know and actually help? Maybe even have to have live in our home for a couple of weeks. Take them on. They're not all indigents. Come on. We have people in our congregation right now that are out of work. And it won't be long before they'll be out of a house. Come on. It's right here. We're not talking about some strange thing out there. We're talking about reality. And when are we going to come across this moment and say, well, why don't you just live with me for a while? We're afraid, aren't we, that they'll never move out. <laughs> come on, let's be honest. It's a good workshop time. Well, I invite them in, but how do you invite them out? We'll figure it out before you invite them in. So look, let's write a contract or something. Three months, you're out of here. Got it? I mean, you're looking for work every day, and I'm going to help you. We're in this together. We're going to make this work. But you're not going to be a bum at my house. Tell them. They're not bums anyway. They're brothers and sisters. 
supposed to love them as yourself. Is that how you talk to yourself in the morning? Okay, you and the man, listen, you're going to get better and you get to work, and I'm kicking you out of here in three months. <laughs> you don't do that. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm living here no matter what happens. We're a little afraid of getting across this line where it starts really touching us, but we're very happy to, you know, you get the thing in the mail for the L.A. Rescue Mission, you're, man, write a check, just keep it way down there. But somebody comes along about Christmas time and says, hey, you want to go down, let's do some feeding? You want to go, hey, go with the washbells of Santa Barbara on the big tree and feed the homeless? You want to do that? Mm, no, but I'll buy the gas. So you can go. Come on, am I telling the truth here? Are you feeling convicted? No. Wow. Who is neighbor to him? The one that showed mercy. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and God will repay what he has given. Personal involvement, I have to do it. But the better thing that I can do is to equip myself and others to do it too. If the church in America, you know, if we could just twinkle our nose, how that works, you know, change it all overnight. And the church got up tomorrow and said, we're going to do this all in unison. We would revolutionize the welfare systems in this country. We'd actually bring it back to where it's supposed to be in the church. The church is supposed to be helping the poor. Those who love Christ are those that extend themselves to the point of hurt. There was this, in the, in the Truth Project, you'll see this, where in the second century there was a Roman soldier who was serving in Antioch and he was writing a missive and they have an extant copy of the missive where he's writing back to Rome to tell them what's happening in Antioch. A plague is broken out and people are just dying. And he writes the missive to Rome, he says, well, the politicians have all left. The doctors have given up and they're gone. Most of the community has pulled out. And I've moved, the room, I've moved all of our soldiers back out of town to protect them as well. He says, but there's an odd thing happening. And it's this, there's this sect of people that are staying. They themselves are not infected. They're healthy, but they're staying and they're taking care of those who are dying. He said, they're all of this one sect of those who worship this Christ. Second century. And that, you can just move that all the way down to right now. Who builds the hospitals? Who has the care centers? It's the Christians that become motivated to help the poor. I've recently run into a guy that went to our local high school. I won't mention his name. I don't want to single him out, but I'm trying to get connected with him. Uh, we both were on the same, you know, kind of community network, internet thing. And, you know, what have you been doing? He said, well, for the last 15 years, I've given away a million and a half dollars. I've built hospitals and care centers all over the world in the name of Jesus. And I thought, man, this is somebody from our high school? I want to get together with this guy and see what he's got going on. And I said, there is the second century Christians helping those who are dying all the way down to somebody that went to Big Bear High. Still doing it. Why? Because that's what Christians do. We're happy when we do it. And we change our culture because we bring salt and light to affect 
in the middle of where we live. And we don't hire it done by a government agency. And we don't wish somebody else would do it. We may not be able to do it all, but we can all do something. And I pray that God will show you and me, without another parking lot, what I can do and how I can do it. Because I really don't think helping the ones in the parking lot is the ultimate end. That's not my story. I think it's becoming involved, becoming intimate, sharing life together, and helping somebody up. I'm going to get up by helping somebody else up. And they actually may have more than me. I met a man last week here in town that I, I know his house is worth at least $9 million. His house is worth $9 million. The guy's got plenty. And yet in talking with him, I could tell that he was among the poorest on earth. Because he, like the girl last night, said, anybody that doesn't know Jesus is the poorest. And I said, you know what? You can have it all and still be poor. Father, this morning I thank you for your word. And I sincerely want to thank you in front of my friends here today that you were willing to corner me in a parking lot more than once in one day to try and train me how to be personally involved and not to become disassociated from need or poor but how to be in touch how to humble myself and wash the feet of others more than how at times to humble myself and let others wash my feet Lord we need to live in this field we need to have a scriptural biblical view of how to help the poor how to love others as you have loved us Lord I want us to experience this blessed state of being happy fulfilled by giving to those who can never repay us, by helping those that could never even thank us, perhaps, like the Good Samaritan, who was willing to help that one man by compassion alone, even if he never got to meet him. Lord, would you work this message into our hearts? I know it must be your desire. I pray for my friends here this morning that you will open doors of possibility for us. God, that when you bring us to the point of testing and proving, you know we can succeed. You know we can pass that test. Lord, give us wisdom when we're confronted between the greedy and the needy. Help us to discern who the poor really are so that we can be most effective in your spending of our lives to the good of others. And Father, I thank you that in this fear there is no authority that we can take over another person. It's all about serving, loving, giving away, depleting self in order that others might live. Expand us, teach us, train us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.